Welcome to Pumpkin Spice Podcast. It's a seasonal, artisanal treat of a podcast about horror films for fans of horror films. I'm Rob Schulte. And I'm Graham Young. Graham, which character do you feel like you relate to most in all of the Friday the 13th movies we've seen so far? Gosh, that's a really good question. I would say I relate to the two characters I like the most from the series, and that's Tiffany Helm and Crispin Glover. A a mix of those characters are kind of outsiders. Uh, They want to fit in, and uh, they both are great dancers, and I've always considered myself to be a pretty good dancer. I can can stand by that. Uh, uh, what What about yourself? Well, I don't know. Part of me feels like uh, middle Tommy Jarvis. You know, leave me alone. I kind of want to just hang out by myself. You know, sans visions. But another part of me is very much like Crispin Glover in the sense of maybe not as much self-deprecating, but definitely like the odd one at the party that's not afraid to dance either. Sure, yeah. And uh, yeah, I I think uh, Crispin is... uh, you know, part four, when we're going through these films, that was sort of the start. We, we discussed this before, that that was the film that we really started to, to give a shit about these characters. Parts one through three have some okay characters, but it's not till four that we really start to, uh, I, I, I'm hesitant to say identify with, but um, just some characters we can kind of groove with. Uh, with that, let's go into Friday the 13th, part seven. The New Blood. Ooh, spooky. Graham, can you give me a 30-second summary? Yes, this will be a little bit different. There is a young woman that discovers that she has telekinetic powers and accidentally kills her father. Then she accidentally raises Jason from Camp Crystal Lake, and he goes on a killing spree. And at the end of the film, she uses her telekinetic powers to destroy Jason. Actually, that's not true. She uses her telekinetic powers to raise her father from the dead, and he kills Jason. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on in this one. Is there anyone from this movie that you recognized? Oh, absolutely. Okay, are we <laughs> talking? Are we talking about uh, Doctor Cruz? Oh yeah, I'm talking Bernie himself. Okay, I was wondering if you would catch on to that. I was hoping to surprise you, but um, yeah, that's true. Uh, Terry Kaiser uh, from Weekend at Bernie's. And Weekend plays, at Bernie's Part 2. Yeah, he's in, he's in the sequel as well. Uh, he plays Dr. Cruz, who is sort of working with our main character on how to harness her telekinetic powers. But and he's, this, got, he's got some nefarious uh, oh, plans. Yeah, in this, in this movie, he's a big fat jerk. Um, and, uh, definitely sort of the, uh, the other, uh, villain in the film besides, uh, Jason. Yeah. And the, from what I can tell, the first person to ever assist a kill with Jason. You know, I never thought about that while we were, we were watching this movie, but yeah, Rob, you're absolutely right. I think he did sort of assist Jason in a murder. He could have just ran away, but instead he like held the mom there to make sure Jason killed her so he could then run away. One thing that stood out to me at the very beginning of this one, and I don't know if you saw it or not, maybe you can let me know. We get the underwater view of Jason, you know, he's rotting away and whatnot, but he's still got clothes on. Sure. But there's a crease in his pants, as if they've been pressed. 
Oh, really? I did not notice that. I like, have to go back very, and watch that. It's like, he's wearing some new clothes. <laughs> uh, wow. I, I will definitely have to go back and, and uh, look at that because I, I did not notice that the first time I, or the, upon rewatching it. So. Had to have been a request from Kane Hodder. I guess so. And speaking of which, uh, this is the first film to feature Kane Hodder. And Rob, I wanted to get your thoughts on something. So if you talk to any Friday the 13th fan, they'll say that Kane Hodder is the true uh, Jason uh, or the the best actor to portray Jason, I I should say. Um, And I find that interesting because he, he didn't come in until the seventh film and he was only Jason for three movies. Now, that being said, he's the only actor, to the best of my knowledge, who's played Jason twice. Uh, and I and I do agree with fans that, that Kane Hodder is amazing. And he is probably uh, the best actor to portray Jason. But I never understood the fandom because he sort of came in late. And it wasn't like Robert England, who had been with the series the entire uh, franchise. This is a guy sort of coming in late. He does an incredible job, but there was a, I don't know if you remember, the, the 2009 or 10 remake of Friday the 13th, there was a lot of uproar that Kane Hodder was not cast as Jason. Same with Freddy versus Jason. That's right. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But what are your thoughts as far as the sort of Kane Hodder fandom of it's, Friday the 13th? I am really glad that you asked me this because I had a note I wanted to bring up. I, you know, sometimes in preparation for this podcast, I'll watch, you know, other people's reviews or takes or, you know, people who do uh, counts here and there and stuff. And generally, I'm 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 happy with the facts and the work that's put into, like, say, you, you know, popular YouTube videos and stuff. What I'm not a fan of is like trying really hard to be clever. And it came out really hard in this one video I saw. Which I won't, like, name, because people can do whatever they want, and it's, this isn't, like, a witch hunt by any means. But uh, the the host was explaining that Kane Hodder was injured. Um, he got, like, third-degree burns in this film because, you know, one of the... You know, something went wrong during that scene where Jason gets lit on fire. And the comment that this host made said, that's the Kane Hodder difference. As if... He will uh, go beyond pain or safety to make a better scene. But I don't think those things go together. I think that everything should be safe and working perfectly to get the perfect scene because then you can shoot the scene longer and no one gets hurt. What do you think? Yeah, you're right, Rob. Um, I've I've actually been fortunate enough to hang out with uh, several stunt people and of course, if you ever get the chance, stunt people have the best stories. Uh, they are the coolest people on a movie set, in my opinion. Um, I was working on a car commercial here in Austin, and I just like was stuck to the uh, stunt people. They just, again, had the best stories. And they would brag about close calls, but you, you always got the idea that, that um, they took their job very seriously. It's a life and death kind of thing. I don't know what that what that reviewer was trying to say about uh, Kane Hodder. I guess he's willing to uh, uh, risk his life to entertain, and that's what every good stunt per- person does. And of course, Kane Hodder was a stunt person before he uh, became a well a stunt star. A stunt star. There you go, Rob. 
forgive me, I kind of want to go off on this for a second. Not like go off angrily, but I want to take a branch for a moment in the podcast because... Arrgh! What? No, I'm I'm just saying that you said you don't want to go off on a tangent. I was just like, let's get angry. Oh, I see. Yeah. That was my... I don't want to go on a rant here. Yeah. But, uh, no. Um, what do you think about that, though, Graham? Like, a lot of people subscribe to this idea of, like... You know, he's a badass stunt guy who will risk this injury to to keep going and then in the same breath be like, you know, we didn't get to see the most gruesome kill here, so that really sucks. And this person's acting like a B-word or, you know, and, and it, it's like this kind of like elevated level of, uh, I'm using quote fingers here, but badassery. And yeah. I do think that does kind of interweave with like fans of horror films and I don't necessarily think it has to be that way. What do you think? Yeah, to to base your appreciation on on the fact that Kane Hodder almost died rather than sort of focusing on his performance is kind of odd, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was in junior high once. I liked edgy music and I liked making edgy jokes or whatever. And there's there's a one point where you have to be like, yeah, this is fun. But like, I recognize that this is not the way things are supposed to be. And sure. to not embrace that sort of thought process, I think, shows kind of a lack of, I don't know, maturity. Is that the yeah, right word you think? I, I That was the word I had in my head, yes. Uh, Just a a question, how old was this person that was doing this uh, review? Um, They were probably 30 or 31, but they had a haircut of a 23-year-old. Okay, going for that thing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of Kane Hodder in this film, Rob, uh, what did you think about the physical look of, of, of Jason in the film? I like the idea of he's now some sort of undead creature, but I think it was a little overboard of like, here's the spinal cord and make sure that the ribs are showing here. What about you? I I absolutely love it. The director of this film is a guy that um, I absolutely love. His name is uh, John Carl Beekler. And uh, Beekler started off as a uh, special effects guy that then worked himself into the, the director's chair. Um, but he wanted to show everything that Jason's been through in the last six films. And yeah, I, I'll tell you something right now, Rob. Um, if you get a chance, you'll, you you want to watch an interview uh, with uh, Beekler on, on YouTube. There's several great ones. He's just a really cool guy. and He's got a great attitude about filmmaking and just how nuts it can be and you just gotta hang in there and and do your best and be creative and he's just a really awesome guy and a guy i would love to sit down and have a beer with let's see here he started off doing like special effects for like uh movies like prison by renee harlan yeah and uh from beyond uh stuart gordon and this is not his first film that he directed that would be the dungeon master and rob i don't know if you've ever seen that movie it's also called rage war have not seen it Love the um, movies with two titles, though. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's got um, one of my favorite lines in film history, and um, I'll just say it and we'll move on. I don't want to do, d- digress into uh, uh, Dungeon Master, but there's a line in the film that goes a little something like this. I reject your reality and substitute my own. Well, I'll take that into consideration. <laughs> 
moving on, Graham, what yes. really jumped out at you in this one? Like, what was your takeaway? Well, I sort of admired the courage of the filmmakers not feeling like they had to explain the telekinetic powers. It's just like there, yeah. you know, um, and at first I, I thought that was really weird. Um, like we're just going to introduce more a, a superhero more or less to fight Jason. But at the same time, it just feels so refreshing. And like, look, I love Corey Feldman, but screw Tommy Jarvis. Tina should have been our recurring character. No? You finally have a worthy opponent to Jason. Like, if you look at, you know, everything she does to him is so much more than what Tommy ever did. Like you're saying. Like, I agree with you. She had a role in the film. Tommy didn't do jack shit for three movies. Well, I mean, when he was when Corey Feldman portrayed the character, you know, he killed Jason. But in five and six, he doesn't really do too much where Tina is just kicking ass. Yes. It's like for everything good it does, it like glosses over everything else. Like every character is a huge stereotype like every teen character like there's no one that you care about and you're not supposed to i mean like that was the rule of the first one it's like give sure. me give me people that i okay you're this you're that i don't care about you dying which is great but like i don't know like they've had so many movies to at least polish the things that they did wrong in the past and now they've got this like fairly decent idea of giving jason a foe and they squandered it well would you agree, Rob, that all of these movies, to a certain extent, feel rushed? Oh, absolutely. They're they're more rushed than this podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, it's a it's a studio cash grab. Um, they sort of had a uh, an unexpected hit, and they just milked it until the milk ran dry. And um, that's always the sort of vibe I've, I I got from the series. Um, but then again, you, the same could be said for. Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's one of my favorite horror film franchises uh, out there. So, yeah, but Jason say? never wears sunglasses. That's true, and never Jason never sort of becomes like this James Bond kind of. Not that Although Freddy Krueger is James does, Bond, not in this movie, but in the previous one, he has a James uh, Bond intro. That's true. That's true, and um, but there's no like MTV Friday the Thirteenth. Graham, we've done away with the tally. Jason is a completely different being. Um, I don't know. I haven't done any more research on that. I'm, I'm taking it at face value until I get a little bit more info. But what are your final thoughts on this film? The house explosion is phenomenal. It's one of the best explosions I've seen in cinema, maybe. But my big takeaway is, look, if you're going on a marathon with these films like Rob and I have, it tends to get a little monotonous. That being said, Rob, you talked about stereotypical characters and I believe her name is Megan, the woman that's kind of squaring off with Tina and they're kind of, I guess like fighting over that guy or something. She was so over the top, I actually loved it. The filmmakers were just like, you know what? Let's just go all out there. And it works for me. I thought that was pretty cool, but this movie, really starts to heat up in the third act. And with the exception of the very, very end, which is terrible, the last 20 minutes of this movie rocks. 
I agree, Graham. It was a lot of fun. It went by quickly. Uh, but then once you see her use telekinesis to raise her dead father from the lake to pull Jason back down into the lake, any shred of anything that was keeping me tied to this movie was gone. And not only just because of the obvious why isn't he rotting like Jason was, but also because who's this dude? Like, why? Exactly. Do, you know? Who cares about this guy? Like, but you bring and up also, an interesting... was supposed to feel good? He was, he like was beating her mom at the beginning of the film. And now he saves the day because she wakes him up. What? Get out of yeah. here. Yeah. It's this weird domestic violence at the beginning of the film. It's, it's really weird. Don't, but no. Ro- don't make me root for the dude who hits his wife. Yeah. And then yells and screams at his daughter. Um... Yeah, Rob, but you bring up a good point in the sense that, so Beekler hated this ending. He had to cave in or give in to the studio's will and shoot the ending that they wanted. But what he tried to persuade them to do is give that guy zombie makeup, the father. So when he came out of the water, he would be looking, look as, as terrifying as, as Jason. But they didn't do any of that. It, there's no makeup at all. He just comes out like he, like the Camp Crystal Lake has preserved him or something. It's cheesy. It takes you out of the film. They really needed a stronger ending to, to bring it all home. And um, I wouldn't say that the ending ruins the film, but it comes pretty darn close. Uh, it rivals part two's ending. Yes. Graham, you really wanted to uh, jump into the movie recommendations because now we're in October and I really trust what you have in store for us. From 1960, Eyes Without a Face. And Rob, have you heard of this film? Only in name. Okay. Um, this movie like, is shocking by 2017 standards, so you can only imagine what it would have been like to uh, watch this movie in 1960. But the story revolves around a sort of mad scientist and his daughter gets in a horrible car accident and her face is really messed up. So uh, he kidnaps young women and uh, takes their faces off and tries to put them on his daughter's face. Check this movie out. You will not be disappointed. Um, So that's my recommendation. Uh, What is yours, Rob? I don't know if it's necessarily a recommendation as much as it is a, I watched this and I think that some people will find value in it, but it made me feel uncomfortable. What is the film, Rob? Now you, first, before I, before I jump in, you're a Stephen King fan, correct? Yes. And so am I. I mean, everything I've read by him, I've enjoyed. Um, Warts, warts and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we, we recognize the, the faults. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Did you ever read Gerald's Game? Uh, yes. And uh, you know that they made a film for it, Netflix original. Uh, yeah, I actually haven't watched it because I'm angry that someone got to that movie before me. Okay, so you enjoyed the book or the story. Well, the funny thing about it is, Rob, like, um, so I started reading, I specifically remember that I was in the fifth grade when I started reading Stephen King. And I read Pet Cemetery was my first one. And Gerald's Game, of all the books, was the second book that I read from King. In fifth grade. And in fifth grade. 
and it's insane. It's a it's a really uh, good book. Um, how does the film compare to the uh, book? Well, I don't know because I haven't read it. It's very graphic, which I used to be able to watch like extremely graphic stuff a lot better when I was younger. I don't know what changes as you grow old. Maybe you get more injuries, but between the graphicness and then like you know, I I don't like. You know, there's, you know, she was abused as a child. That's always kind of a hard story to stomach because it's just so sad. But it seemed to be done really well. Well, honestly, Rob, it's been so long since I've read the book. I've I've only read it once. Um, but that, as a as a kid, I was like, no one will touch that novel. Like that's the that's the Stephen King adaptation I can do because no one's going to want to do that. And you said this is a this is a movie or it's a miniseries. It's a movie on Netflix. Netflix okay, original. Okay, gotcha. So, what would be your favorite Stephen King film adaptation? It wasn't it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we might have to devote an episode to that. I sort of have refused to watch it just because Rob, there's a thing sort of going on with modern horror films that I just can't stand, and that's sort of the overuse of jump scares. Oh really, it's, Graham? Is that like you yeah. to you, or I? I well, it should be for everyone. It's cheap and it's it's uh, it sucks. It's it's not um, it's it. You're not challenging your audience. I was giving it the benefit of the doubt because it was the previews, you know. And I don't mm-hmm. think that it was incredibly overused in part one, but yeah, it was there. Um, the book it is insane and. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Rob, but the book it had a co-author. It was uh, cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know if you've ever read like it or Tommy Knockers. Th- that sort of uh, time in Stephen King's life was just batshit crazy, and I both despise and adore that period in his career. <laughs> a spaceship. A spaceship. Graham, what do we have in store next week? We have Jason Takes Manhattan, Friday the 13th, Part 8. And this, to me, like, there are worst films in the series, but this was the biggest letdown because I can remember seeing the trailer and was like, oh my gosh, this looks so cool. There's there's shots of Jason in, in Times Square and he's like menacingly looking at people and you're just like, oh man, this would be so cool. And, um, well... We'll talk about it uh, next week, but um, it was a huge letdown. Rob, have you seen this movie before? I started it years ago, but for no, essentially. Okay, gotcha. Well, that's that says it all right there that you started it but did not finish it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, especially now that I live in New York. And with that, Graham, I think uh, we'll, leave, we'll leave this episode where it is, the time capsule of... Friday the 13th. Part 7, The New Blood. Shh, shh.